Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Rights Podcast with your host, Shukri Rights. I am absolutely in a great mood because the Celtics, they bounced back in an absolutely huge way. If you are a Celtics fan and you're listening to this podcast, listen, <laughs> the Celtics... They 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 win game five, 111 to 89. They're now up in the series three games to two. And by the way, the Celtics all time in series when they're leading three games to two. What's their record? 29 and four. 29 and four all time when leading in the series three games to two. So the Celtics have had a pretty positive and strong ability to close out series in NBA playoff history. So with that being said, as for the game itself, I mean, listen, and I, I talked about this on the Shukri Wright show on 91.5 FM WMFO this past Saturday in which that I felt that the Celtics were absolutely going to need to have some sort of a gut check time, if you will, because we saw what happened in game three. With the OJ Anunoby game-winning shot with, with 0.5 seconds remaining. And then game four, the Celtics just never was seemingly into it, into the game, that is. And the more that I the more that I began to think about it at the time on Saturday, I wasn't even sure what the Celtics were even going to come out with. What type of energy were they going to come out with? You know? I mean, although game four, the Celtics had lost 193, but in that game, it just never seemed like the Celtics were even in it. But from jump start, the Celtics absolutely just look energetic. You could see it on both ends of the floor, whether if it was off on the offense, the defense, but especially the defense where the criticism, especially the way that game three ended was the defensive breakdown. And as well as game four, they absolutely just look absolutely sloppy, allowing, you know, Kyle Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet to get going offensively. They just didn't look good at all. So with all of that being said, what I saw in game five was a team that just looked completely different. And I got to tell you, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved the fact that we talk about how the Celtics were absolutely focused from literally tip-off. There was a different look to this team. There was a different look to, to the way that they, that they carry themselves, and it was very apparent. I absolutely love the fact that Brad Stevens not only, and, I'm, and I do mean not only did he, not only did he, make the adjustments defensively and not allowing Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet to get going offensively. They also were able to make the adjustments off offensively as well themselves. That And that is the Boston Celtics. And in the, in the, the, the highest scoring player for the Toronto, for the Toronto Raptors was Fred Van, Van Vliet. But even then he wasn't, he wasn't overly impressive. He he wasn't impressive at all. And we talk about a guy who absolutely 
absolutely struggled to get going offensively. But, however, you talk about the offensive depth that this Celtics team has, and we know that this team has had depth for the longest with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And and in, and in Game 5, what we saw was Jalen Brown scoring 27 points and stepping up big in, in, a, in what I thought was an absolutely outstanding response for a guy who who absolutely was very hard on himself in, in the wake of Game 3's heartbreaking defeat and played piss poor in Game 4. So you talk about way to absolutely rebound. That was it. That was absolutely it. And Kimba Walker, wait for him to step up as well. You know, he scored 21 points as well. And, and you talk about what's amazing about this is this. The Celtics starters, st- they outscored Toronto starters by, guess by how much? 93 to 45. 93 to 45, and that told me everything that I needed to know in terms of just the focus that this team had coming into this game. We're talking about from the starters in particular, like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, for example, as well as Kimba Walker. You know, like you also you also got um contributions from Daniel Tyson, Brad Wanamaker. And they both they both have 15 points each. And not to not to be forgotten, Marcus Smart, he also contributed 12 points as well. So no matter how you may look at it, slice and dice it, this was an all-around terrific bounce-back win for the Celtics in which at the last two games, they just didn't look like themselves. I didn't see a team that looked that badly the way that they did in game four all postseason long. And I I said to myself after game four, like, honestly, the Celtics, they're going to have to come out with a whole different attitude and a whole different animal. And and it showed. And the way the way that I that I saw it was this: the Celtics they shot they shot just under fifty percent from the field. Their field goal percentage for the game was forty nine point four percent. Toronto struggled; they shot only thirty eight point eight percent. And then the the other part that I look at it was was that the Celtics they also did a better job of rebounding, and it showed. In terms of the offensive rebounds, but as well as just the overall rebounding game aspect, where the Celtics out rebounded the, the Raptors forty-five to thirty-six. No matter how you may look at it, you have to be feeling very, and I do mean very positive, about the Boston Celtics and their ability to turn it around after the way that they that they collapsed. Not even so much collapsed. Let me correct that, and the way that they suffered that heartbreaking defeat in game three. Also, game four, in which they just looked absolutely horrible. They did not look good at all. In a way, they were able to come together, make the necessary adjustments, especially defensively. I couldn't be more happy as a Celtics fan to sit here and say that, listen, they have a chance. They have a chance come Wednesday to close it out for game six. And I think they have a legitimate chance to do exactly just that. And here is the part that that was absolutely outstanding for me. Number one, you want to know how good the Celtics defensively were in, ga- in game uh, five? Of its 18, the first 18 possessions that the Toronto Raptors had, 
The Raptors only scored five points on two of 15 shooting. And that in itself was the recipe for why the Celtics were able to get off to an 18-5 run to start the game, especially within the first eight minutes and 53 seconds of the game. That, for me, was the telltale story for the Celtics to start out. They don't, they don't turn around and 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 make the stops and get and play defensive stifling basketball the way that they were. The Celtics, perhaps, they may be the ones down themselves three two instead of them leading three two. And then the other part of it was this: the Celtics they also had a big scoring run. You know, in the second quarter, in which that they went on a twenty three to seven run as well. In which that not only that it pushed the lead from 37 to 25, but it pushed it wide open to 60 to 32 late in the half. And that for me was really the big the big tell story for me in terms of the Celtics, not just only offensively, but as I mentioned, defensively as well. And that was the part in which that I found to be the most encouraging. And if you're the Boston Celtics right now, you have to believe that not only that what we all knew all along in terms of the Celtics being the better team between the Celtics and, and the Raptors, I wholeheartedly believe that they are the better team. And now here we are. The Celtics are just one win away. They are one win away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals for the third time in four years. The question is going to be this. Can they close it out in game six? Because we've already seen Toronto's ability to bounce back, especially, and I do mean especially, and in, in, in pressure games. That in itself, for me, is going to be absolutely fascinating to see how it all unfolds. Because the more I think about it, and the more I begin to really just look at the bigger picture, the Celtics have every, every reason to believe that they can't close out this series. It's not impossible. And I expect them to close it out in game six. Man, listen. Listen, listen, listen. I don't know about you, but I am absolutely excited for the start of the NFL season. I know, I know, I know. It's 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 been a eventful 2020. I, I I'm with you. But seriously, I think today was really the first time in which that it really begun to sink in that the NFL season is literally right around the corner. And you want to know what's crazy about it is that what's crazy about it is is that I actually, for a minute, forgot that the season was coming up, and that never happens. Now, to put to add a little context to it, I actually know, like, I mean, my my brain is like running; it likes to run on sports clockwork, if you will, in which that. Oh, I know when hockey season starting, or when football season starting, or college football is about to start, and and so forth, all that fun stuff, yay. But here's the kicker. The kicker is is that for this year, it just seemed like the NFL season, at least for me, 
kind of kind of almost flew under the radar the beginning of it until this morning when I I tuned into the NFL network and I had I had um started watching Good Morning Football you know and I'm a big fan of um Kayla Kayla Adams yeah that's her name Kayla Adams and and the thing that I just found amazing just thinking about it was you know the way they're talking about the Chiefs and Texans game which by the way that's kicking off on Thursday night as 8 Eastern on NBC um I'm not even sure if there will be fans in attendance for that one you know like not every team is going to have that but with that being said it just turned into a whole other a whole other realization that oh my god like football really is about to happen because if you remember for the longest it just seemed as if the big question was and i remember going back to april for goodness sakes go back to april and the big question was is the nfl is is there going to be a football season at all we weren't even sure whether if there was going to be an nfl season or not and when the when the schedule came out for all 32 teams, even then it was like it was still an air of, you know, skepticism in terms of whether if the if the NFL is still going to have a full season or not. Or I mean, hell, we still don't even know if they're going to have a full season, but we do know that the NFL season is starting on time and that they are going to press forward. But it's real now. It's three days away as of this recording. And that's the part that gets me excited most, more than anything else. Most of all, just knowing that there's going to be live NFL football for the first time since February 2nd, since Super Bowl 54. That in itself is going to be amazing to watch. But I do know this, though. This is going to be a season and an NFL season opener that's going to be unlike anything that we have ever seen, at least in our lifetime, that is. And there's a and, and for good reason. You know, there's been so much that's been going on. So much has happened since the NFL last had center stage, so to speak, back on Super Bowl weekend back in February. A lot has changed and a lot has happened. You know, from February, I mean, the pandemic hadn't begun hadn't even really begun to take shape yet um as well as you know like everything that's been going on in terms of the social injustice in this country like the the murders of Ahmad Arbery um George Floyd Jacob Blake and also also we ain't gonna forget about Breonna Taylor as well so a lot has been happening in the in this country, both in terms of the pandemic as well as the social uh, inequality, and again, like none of us were even sure, let alone confident in the fact that the NFL was going to uh, have a season. You know, especially considering that, that the pandemic and way things were looking early on, and even now we're still in the midst of a pandemic, but at the same time, we're just not sure as to. What's what is what are we going to um, be doing come two or three months from now? You know, like say December or or even hell, what we where we will all be come New Year. 
come New Year's Day, none of us know. And that's the part in which that I think the NFL is going to try its best to to navigate through through, through its waters, through these uncharted waters, the best way they they possibly can. But I am curious to see how it would all work, how it would all work out. But I am really excited to see the NFL return. I do have my concerns, and I'm not trying to be a party pooper at all, but I do have my concerns. And I think a lot of the concern comes from the fact that we've never been in in a situation like this before. We have never faced anything like this before. So my my big thing is... Is that when we talk about we talk about the NFL, we talk about you know the players that usually are having a you know um, preseason, but there was no pre on preseason at all because of COVID nineteen. So I'm I'm intrigued to see how the product on the field is going to look, especially through the month of September, you know, starting Thursday th- Thursday night season um, opener for the NFL between the Texans and the Chiefs. So. I do think that it's going to be important to keep an eye out, especially for how do the players react? You know, how are their bodies are responding, you know, to getting hit in live games for the first time. And for many of them, it may be, let's say, nine months for a lot of the players. You know, a lot of a lot of the players who didn't play make the postseason the last game was December of last year. So this is what, yeah, nine months now. So as I mentioned, I do think that there is going to be a sense of concern as to what the product and the quality of the product is going to be. None of us know at all. Your guess and my guess is only as good as the next person. But I am hopeful that we are able to get through an entire season, you know, unscathed in terms of, you know, any any major outbreaks and so forth, because that's going to be the big thing. The big thing is, can the NFL, you know, get through the season unscathed? Now, we've seen what's happening with Major League Baseball and so forth. We're seeing what, like, you know, teams having to, like, postpone games because a player or two – or, you know, or, or like a multiple players at a time or a, a large group of players on a team like, the, for example, the Miami Marlins used as an example, test a positive for COVID-19. So I do think the NFL uh, will, will figure this out, and they should have, they in fact should have figured this out by now, especially considering that they've had the most time in, in terms of the 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 pro leagues to figure out in terms of what's the plan moving forward you know what happens if there's an outbreak or multiple positive tests at a time and i do think that it's going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds and i for one i'm 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 intrigued to see how the nfl handles situations like this because we because the fact of the matter is this we haven't really heard a concrete plan and although I am excited that the NFL is back come Thursday and it's going to be really different, and I do know this, though, this is going to be the most unpredictable season that we probably have ever seen and probably will ever see. 
I wholeheartedly agree, and I feel that feel the same way. We just don't know. We just don't know what to expect because of the uncertainty, and especially when it comes to, you know, like the teams and how they are constructed for this upcoming season, you know, and that I think it's going to be fascinating to to watch, you know, teams like Kansas City, the Kansas City Chiefs attempt to repeat as Super Bowl champions. You know, like how will the New England Patriots look with their with their new quarterback, Cam Newton? How will the Carolina Panthers look with under first year Matt Rule um, or with, with, with Teddy Bridgewater as their new quarterback? You know, what about the New Orleans Saints? What about the Chicago Bears? They decided to, that they're going to go with Mitchell Trubisky as their new starting quarterback. How is that going to pan out? And in the, I mean, obviously in the in the AFC, you know, like we got Houston. You still you still got the AFC West. You still got Denver being an intriguing team. You know, how is Drew Locke going to to going to fare as the starting quarterback? You know, so whether if you whether if you are one who follows a team follow the sport um, religiously or even casually, you have to admit that. This is the most unpredictable season that the NFL is going to face possibly ever. And I believe that wholeheartedly and strongly. Well, it's been a little bit since I've talked uh, some hockey, but I know the Bruins have been eliminated and there's very little reason for me to even talk about the NHL. But the fact of the matter is I still love hockey regardless. So with that being said, um, I figure I'd give my thoughts on the on the conference finals that is now taking place exclusively in Edmonton, um, Toronto and Edmonton were the two hub cities. Toronto is no longer hosting the game since the first two rounds, including the the round robin rounds, have been completed. So Edmonton is the site of the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals. So it's going to be fascinating um to see the type of matchups that we have during the conference finals and and those matchups are Dallas Stars against the Las Vegas Golden Knights in the West and conference finals and in the East you have the Tampa Bay Lightning against the New York Rangers and that in itself is the part that I feel that's going to be the most fascinating series to watch because listen we know that the Islanders, they're built on defense. They're built on they're built on solid goaltending. Whether if it's from Thomas Grice or Semyon Varlamov. And the Lightning, well, <laughs> they're built on firepower. They're built on firepower. And in game one. We, we saw an absolute epic ass-kicking by the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> it was bad. Very bad. Um, in fact, the Lightning won at such a lopsided score. They won the game 8-2. to two. 
And all the way through and through, I, I couldn't believe just how fast of a start the Tampa Bay Lightning got off to. I mean, Braden Point scored that first goal at 114 of the first period, which for those who aren't well-versed in hockey, that's 1846 remaining in the first period. That's a very, very fast start for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And once Braden Point scored that first goal, there was no looking back. You would think that, well, hmm, the Lightning, they just wanted to, you know, establish some sort of dominance offensively. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. But but Jordan Eberle, you know, he came back and tied it. Tied it up. And and it was it was on a, on a wicked wrist shot on a power play goal that the Islands were able to tie the game back up. So you figure, well, the Islanders, they can just keep the game close, get in, get settled into the, their, their uh, defensive st- um, structure. It should be just fine, right? Nope. Because here comes Victor Hedman. <laughs> And Victor Hedman, listen, I, I got to point out that Victor Hedman has been an absolute freaking monster during these playoffs. You know, like, this is the guy who 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 now has six goals during these Stanley Cup playoffs. And it is absolutely amazing to watch him play. I mean, he dominated the series against the Boston Bruins in a previous round. And I knew that he was a pretty damn good defenseman, especially a defensive one at that. But he also has offense to his game. Oh man, that, that that makes him like all the more like a defensive uh, weapon or whatnot, and as well as like Ryan McDonough. Ryan McDonough, the former New York Ranger, scored his first, and he made I made it three to one. But then at that point, when Yanni when Yanni Gord scored, you know, he got, he got the assist from Kevin Shattenkirk and Patrick Maroon, which made it four to one. At that point, it was like, all right, it's clear. But I didn't expect. The offensive onslaught that would in that would continue from that point on, especially Braden Point, and he scored another goal, and Nikita Kucherov had scored another goal, and and I mean Andres Palat, and it was just Yanni Gord scored the, on the eighth goal of the night, but I gotta tell you that this Tampa Bay team is so damn deep that it's that it is just absolutely unreal and not to only mention the fact that i read this somewhere the other day in terms of the Tampa Bay lightning and someone was asked well who is the most underrated player on on a Tampa Bay lightning team and the response was was no question it was it was andres palat and I think during these playoffs, you're seeing why. Like, it's not just the offense that he brings. He, it's also his ability um, to, to play a physical game, you know, like to, to, to bring that forecheck into, into the game as well. And, and like, just like so many other, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning teams, He's been a he's been a part of the last several years, and what you've seen this year, especially now, is a guy who is able to elevate his game, especially the further along and the deeper that they go in the playoffs. And I think 
it's going to be absolutely interesting to see what happens, you know, moving forward as the series progresses and whatnot. But Braden Point, man, what a play that this that this guy has turned into. I I can't I can't believe just how good that he that he has become. And it goes back to the drafting of the Tampa Bay Lightning and how they're able to find these studs. And, and oh, by the way, this is all without Steven Stamkos, their captain. And that's why I feel I feel like there's a part of me that feels, man, this team is going to be absolutely dangerous, especially during this round against the New York Islanders. But the New York Islanders, I, I have belief that they can and will make the necessary adjustments um, during this round, but they're go- they are definitely going to have their hands full. They they they're going to need guys to step up offensively for for the Islanders. You know, you talk about guys such as um, Jordan Eberle, Matthew Barzal, um, on that line, and then obviously that, that fourth line with you know, Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck, um, arguably the best fourth line in hockey. But it is going to take a Herculean effort by the Islanders to be able to slow down this relentless offense that is the Tampa Bay Lightning because they are absolutely relentless. And they are not just a one-line team. They are deep on all four lines. And the part that's even scary is that it's not just their fours. Their their defensemen – has the has the ability to actually contribute offensively, as I mentioned earlier, just a few minutes ago about Victor Hedman. He's got six goals now during these playoffs. You know Ryan McDonough. You 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 know what he can do. He went, you've seen what he's been able to do during his career, going back to when he was the captain of the New York Rangers before he got traded. And now, you get offense from him, it's a whole new ball game. And then, like I said, that you have. The Lightning, who are just very deep on all four lines, and it's absolutely terrifying. It should it should worry you just how good this um the, this Lightning team is. Now, game two will be on Wednesday between the Lightning and the Islanders, so I'm interested in seeing what type of adjustment that Barry Trotz uh, makes, and we'll just have to wait and see. Now, the Stars and the Golden Knights, whew. That series was a defensive battle in game one. I mean, it was a one nothing final on, on Sunday night in which that the only goal that was scored in that game was by John Klingberg. That was it. And I came at, at 236 of the first period, and that was it the rest of the game. And I think, listen, Anton Hudobin is becoming a, a massive story for the Dallas Stars. Listen, the Stars do not get to this point without good goal, um, goaltending. And the fact that you've seen Anton Hudobin really emerge as the goaltender during these playoffs is absolutely amazing. And I think that when you look at the Golden Knights, and I, listen, I really like what the Golden Knights are um, are doing or what they have been um, been able to do so far. And I want to say that, hey, you look at Las Vegas and you and you look at just the depth that they have. And you talk about, you know, you know, guys like Jonathan Marshall, Alex Tuck, you know, and then 
they have an absolute freaking stud of a defenseman in Shea Theodore. Shea Theodore, listen, Anaheim Duck fans ought to be angry that the Ducks that that they absolutely that they absolutely allowed Shea Theodore to walk in the expansion draft to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And look at the player that he's become now. Talk about one of the one of the um big mistakes that Anaheim has made over the last few seasons. That was one of them. If not, that's definitely at the top of the list for sure. So with Dallas, as I was I was I was saying, you know, like it's it's really awesome and, and great to see that, you know, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan are able to get this deep into the playoffs because they've never gone this deep together while in Dallas. Now, mind you, Tyler Sagan played in a couple of Stanley Cup finals with the Boston Bruins before he was traded in the summer of 2013. So it's that's one play that has experience of winning the Stanley Cup. And that they are going to absolutely need it. They, and they are not talking about the Dallas Stars. They are absolutely going to need that during the series against against the Golden Knights. But the Golden Knights, I think they're going to definitely have questions in terms of who starts. Because they have two legitimate number one goaltenders and Mark Andre Flory and as well as Mark and um Robin Leonard. Pardon me. So it's going to be fascinating to see what decision does Peter DeBoer go with in game two. You know, so much has been made about Peter DeBoer has a very strange uh, track record in terms of his first year coaching. First year with the New Jersey Devils, that was 2011-2012. He gets to the Stanley Cup Finals where they they would eventually lose to the Los Angeles Kings after falling behind in that series three games to none, but they, they would win games four and five and then lose game six in L.A. Now, he gets to San Jose 2015-16, San Jose, they go on a deep run. They finally get to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time. And they lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins in six games. Same thing. They fall behind 3-0. They win game, they win game four and game five. And they lose game six on home ice. And now here he is with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And go figure, what do you know? First year with the team, taking over for for. Gerard Gallant, and here he is in the Western Conference Finals. There's no guarantees in sports. There's no guarantees in life or anything anything like that. But if you are a believer in trends and history repeating itself, you may just be in luck. You just never know. But both Conference Finals are going to be absolutely phenomenal to watch. Stars, Golden Knights, Lightning, Islanders. Stars are up 3-1-0 in that series. Lightning are up 1-0 in, in that series as well. That'll be all for the Shook Rates podcast today with Shook Rights. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can also subscribe via iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts as well. And as always, you can catch this episode and all episodes of Shook Rights podcast and the Shook Rights show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford as podcasts on iHeartRadio. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, formerly Google Podcasts, and as well as Anchor as well. I look forward to talking with you again next time. Take care, everybody.